Amen. Good morning. It's good to be here at Loudonville and to be with you guys again. It's been a few years since we've been here, so we're always encouraged to come back here uh, to be a part of the, the body of Christ here. Um, Global Servant International is an organization that we're a part of. We work specifically, as that video shared, in closed regions of the world, closed, unlimited, unengaged places in the world that the gospel still hasn't been to yet. And that's our desire is to be serving and ministering among those areas of, of the world. Um, we actually got connected here with this church um, around 1999, I think it was, when uh, we were brought here by uh, Tom and Cynthia Hale and then also uh, Don and Tricia Jones, who are both significant parts of this body of Christ here for a number of years. And uh, they brought us here be primarily because of the places where we were serving. At the time, my wife and I had been serving for about five years in uh, Siberia, Russia, among a people group called the Buryats. And this church had actually adopted the Buryat people and brought us here to be a part of the, the, the church. And, and it's been a neat partnership for many years with you guys to watch God accomplish some amazing things around the world, specifically among the Buryat people themselves. I want to share a little bit about like, one of these aspects we talk about, the results of the Great Commission. Um, when, I was a, when I was a kid, growing up in our, in our, our families, we, I served, I, one of the things my families required us to do was to take a missions trip when we were kids. And so I know a lot of people do that, but when I graduated from high school, we were going to go on a missions trip to um, somewhere in the world. And they, said, they asked me to go. I could pick my place where I was going to go. So I was going to go to Columbia, South America. And so I did. I went down to work in Columbia, South America. And, I, and, I, and as we were living there in South America, um, working there, I was to build an airstrip. And after about two months of working on this airstrip in the jungles of Colombia, um, I ended up going on a trip out to another area. There was a place in Colombia where a missionary had been shot in the neck. Um, he was actually building an airstrip. And if you see it on this map here, he had been shot in the neck building this airstrip out there. And he had come back, and they needed someone to replace him. And so I was 17. I was like, this would be the greatest adventure of my life. And so I thought, that'd be great. I'll go. And so they came back to the missionaries at this base where I was working and said, would anybody, any of you guys here be willing to go and serve uh, for some time to work with this guy, Steve Estelle, on this base at this spot where the Maku were? And everybody was busy except for me. I had nothing. I had nothing going on. I'm like, I'll go. And no, he's anybody available to go. And I'm like, I'll go. Any human being in this room that could go there, we'd love to have somebody, a mature person going there and doing this thing. And I was like, well, but a body, I was a body. And so I went down there. And I built this airstrip down there uh, when, when I was there. And I lived there for a year. Um, and we lived in these houses because the Maku would come out at night and attack. And so every day, there was like, it was a very hostile situation. The Maku Indians at the time, completely unreached, unengaged people. And so one day, I was swimming to the shore. To, and by the way, my, my heart wasn't right with the Lord then. I was just doing this for an adventure. I didn't really care much about the, the whole thing that was going on. And uh, one day, I was talking to this missionary on the, on the shore who I was working with. They were building this airstrip. And I said, why are you here? The Maku don't even like you. You know, why are you here? And he said, if I was here because of the Maku, I'd been gone a long time ago. I'm here because God's called me here. Out of, out, of, out of obedience, I'm here. Because God loves these people. It doesn't matter how much I think about them or how I feel about them. God loves them. And that, that didn't resonate with me then, but years later it would. It would sink into my heart a lot. So I was swimming to shore one time, and I cut my foot. And as I cut my foot pretty bad, I had to... I ended up having a big chunk of wood still stuck on my foot, and they bandaged it up, but they didn't know the wood was in there. And about a week later, my foot infected pretty bad, and I had to leave. And it was a, about a six-day canoe ride from there back to where there was another airstrip. And so by the time I got back there, I was pretty sick and not feeling very good, and I had to take some antibiotics. But as I was sitting there one day watching a, some, another tribe called the Guayabetos living in this area, they were playing soccer. And I was sitting there watching them play soccer. 
and the chief of the tribe came up to me, and I didn't speak much of his language. I knew a few words. He didn't speak Spanish, but I knew some, and so we were talking back and forth, and we kind of got around to, why are you here? And I said, I'm building an airstrip. Where? And I said, with the Maku. He's like, why? It was really hard to explain, you know, why I was there. I'm like, you know, I really don't know, totally, but to tell them about God. And he said something to me I'll never forget. He said, who will tell the Guayabero about God? And I thought to myself, well, it's not going to be me. I mean, I've got a life to live. I've got things I want to do with my life. I'm not going to spend my life in the jungle like these guys are doing. I, I don't have that call. I don't even feel it's important right now. And as I left that place, about three or four years later, the Lord really began to hit me with my own words and the, my own thoughts in that time. And I thought, you know, God began to work in my heart. Well, I was telling the story once in Florida, actually in Cape Canaveral, Florida. And after I got done speaking and preaching, I got off the stage and I, and, I, and I walked off the stage and this girl ran up to me and hugged me. This is now about a year ago, about two years ago. And she hugged me and she said, thank you, thank you, thank you. And I'm thinking, for my sermon? You know, for what? And she said, thank you for coming. She said, I'm a Maku. She was from the Maku tribe. She was missionaries came and shared the gospel with me. Thank you for building the airstrip. Thank you for all that you did. And I was like, I didn't do anything. Those guys did all fly. She said, I'm a medical student right now at the University of Miami. I want to go back to the Maku and minister to them. But missionaries gave me the gospel. You know, the gospel goes full circle, doesn't it? Actually, it comes all the way around, and we see God doing an amazing thing. In Mark chapter 16, verses 14 through 16, Jesus is talking to his disciples. And I, I kind of feel like this is a little bit about me, because he rebukes them for their unbelief and hardness of heart, because they had not believed those who saw him after he had risen. And he said to them, go into all the world and proclaim the gospel to the whole creation. Whoever believes and is baptized will be saved. This is the Great Commission verse. This is Jesus risen from the dead, discipling and talking to his own disciples right now and sharing with them and commissioning them to something that he's calling them to be as disciples. You know, interestingly enough, Barnapol actually did a, a survey of asking this question within the church. It's like, what basically do you believe or do you know much about the Great Commission? 51% of the people in that poll, 51% of the people in that poll who were at a church said they, they aren't sure what the Great Commission is. Um, actually, 51% said no, they don't know what the Great Commission is. 6% said they're not sure what it is. 17% said, yeah, I know it. I know, yes, and I think it means this. And then 25% said yes, but I really can't recall the exact meaning. Jesus gave this Great Commission to the disciples. Actually, he gave it to them in five different situations in a lot of ways, this form of the Great Commission. Uh, in Luke 24, it was in a private room in Jerusalem. In Matthew 28, it was in a mountain, of Gal in, a mountain in Galilee. In John 20, it was in a private room from res after Resurrection Day. Acts 1.8 is in the Mount of Olives. And in Mark 16, when Jesus was re reclining at a table in Jerusalem. These are five different times Jesus has given this word, the Great Commission, this commissioning. And oftentimes as we think about this and we, we wonder, what is he actually commissioning us to do? In Matthew 28, Jesus is talking and he uses this, this word, this phrase, pantata ethne, which is a Greek word, a Greek phrase, which means all nations, all of the nations. But actually, when translated all properly, it means all ethnic minority groups, all ethnic groups. Nations is what they describe it as, but he's really speaking about Minority groups, nations, meaning languages. Did you know how many languages there are in the world today? About 7,000 languages, they say. seven to 10,000 languages in the world today. And do you know how many languages still have no gospel access? It's an amazing number, you think about it. 2021, 
2021, there's still over 2,500 people with no gospel access. So the Great Commission and commissioning, I'll give you the definition, is authority to be sent on mission. That's Jesus giving authority to be sent on mission. And one of the beautiful parts of coming here to Loudville and the fact that you're having a missions conference on renewing the mission when you have 50-some partners sent around the world is God has been moving through this church for years and continues to move through this church. And the fact that you're talking about renewing the mission is an amazing thing to me because I speak at churches who have never sent anybody, any, anyone anywhere. I'll talk to churches that have no real concept of the idea of sending to unreached peoples of the world. But praise God for churches like Loudonville that have been involved in missions for years. So what's the mandate that God gave us? Renewing the mission. First off, we see it here in Mark 16, 14 through 16, right? See that God's saying, go into all the world. Then again, we see it when Jesus is talking to the disciples in, in Acts 1.8. And then we see something when the disciples begin to fill that command in Acts chapter 2. And then we see the church taking hold of this concept and sending in Acts 13. You know, only a few mere weeks after Jesus had actually given this great commission, he's speaking to his disciples and he's gone now. He's, ex he's explained that something is about to change, something will change not only the world, not only the lives of the disciples, but the world itself. The book of Acts is the history of the church of God and the people of God filled with the spirit of God engaged in the mission of God. We're going to talk about the results of the Great Commission, Acts 1, Acts 2, and Acts 13 today as we, as we share through Scripture. So we'll be moving through Scripture quite a bit. I'll be prepared to walk through that. When we worked in Siberia, we worked among the Buryat people. One of the things we were actually praying to do was to see a church raised up, just like you were praying as a church, a church raised up among the Buryats to see something take place. What we weren't aware of is that what we got the privilege of watching was God do a miracle not our great wisdom and, and intellect and, and abilities. It was actually watching God do a miracle, seeing a church established in a place in the world where it didn't exist before. Just as there was a first church among the Bereans, well, there's also a first church among believers for all of us. And that's found in Acts chapter 1, verse 8, and Acts chapter 2. Acts chapter 1, verse 8, it says this, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. I think it's important for us to realize that this actually is, again, the fifth time now that Jesus is saying this. And actually, if you read through the Old Testament, it's a continuing theme throughout all of the Old Testament, even beginning in Genesis chapter 12, 3, where this picture of this idea of God of the nations and God speaking to the nations, this isn't an add-on for those that have some kind of inclination for travel or going overseas. It's a distinctive mark of being a Christian. James Stewart said that. Acts 1.8 is a pivotal verse of the book of Acts just, just as much as it's a central focus for Jesus Christ and his church. So what happens for the disciples once they obey the gospel? It changes everything. It changes everything. Once they begin to obey this great commission, it changes everything. World history changes. As the disciples are beginning to gather together and they're wondering, they're waiting for the Holy Spirit to come upon them, they're, they're, they're sharing, they're fellowshipping together, and then the Holy Spirit comes upon them and they become an unstoppable force with ripple effects that will transcend eternity. Acts chapter 2, verse 5. Now they're dwelling in Jerusalem. Jews, devout men from every nation under heaven, were gathered together. And at this sound, the multitude came together, and they were bewildered because each one was hearing them speak in his own language. They were amazed and astonished, saying, Are not all these who are speaking Galileans? How is it that we hear each of them speaking in their own native languages? Parthians, Medes, Elamites, residents of Mesopotamia, Judea, Cappadocia, Pontus, Asia, Pergia, Pamphylia, Egypt, and parts of the Libya belonging to Cyrene, and visitors from Rome, we hear them telling in our own tongues the mighty works of God. And all were amazed and perplexed, 
I'm going to stop right there for a second because you might be asking yourself, why did he read all those names of places, all those languages at Pentecost? But if you're like me, you haven't heard of all those languages before. But just because we've never heard of them doesn't mean they don't matter to God. Just because we don't know who those people are and where they're from doesn't mean that they didn't significantly matter to God because the Holy Spirit specifically put them in this passage for us to know. All of these places, people from all these nations heard the gospel. The tongues here that we're speaking about are known languages or the distinct people who have traveled from great distances with a variety of different languages. And there are many languages represented here. This is actually, as we read this passage, it's the first gospel proclamation in the Bible. It's actually the first sermon by the disciples. This is the recorded sermon, the first one that, that, that we see Peter sharing. And with marvelous clarity, and actually the urgency we see, he begins linking something that everybody's wondering and trying to figure out right there. It's a clear, powerful proclamation of the gospel in everyone's language. It's a picture of the church, of God's desire to see every, this phrase, pontita ethne, all languages reached with the gospel of Jesus Christ. The gospel is God communicating to man. And this gospel is powerful to salvation. God has always communicated to man. He's always done that throughout scripture. And God literally became flesh and lived among us so he could communicate a message to us that we'd understand who he is and why he came. To communicate clearly, we must speak the language and translate scripture so that people can understand it. And that's one of the things I go back to, that 2,500 languages with still no scripture. The need is still there. They need to know. When I was working in Siberia, one of the things as we did, as we were sharing and serving there, is we, we ended up meeting deaf people. We didn't plan to go to Siberia to meet deaf people. There's a huge population of deaf in the Republic of Buryatia. Uh, where, where we were in Siberia was the Buryat Republic is where a lot of the deaf came from all over Russia, and they had schools and things like that set up. So well, I, was at, I was out there one time, and I was asked to speak at a school. It was a huge school of about 600 kids that were in, in this school from all the way from like three years old all the way up to like 19 years old. And this was a pretty crazy time. And I, I went to speak in the school, and as I got to the back of the room, I was standing there, and one of the teachers was using a microphone and a megaphone to speak to kids. Now, if you know anything about deaf people at all, reading lips is pretty significant. So you have a microphone and a megaphone, they're not going to hear very much. They're not see very much. But then she was shouting into this microphone. And I was in the back of the room, and I'm thinking, if they weren't deaf when they came to this school, I know why they're deaf now. So she's yelling through this microphone and, and going back and forth, and I'm standing in the back, and, and she's talking and everything else. And as I'm standing there, they then announced me to come to the top. And there's a room like, kind of like this set up, and it was packed, and I was standing at this front part, and they were all kind of, all the teachers were in the back kind of like making fun of me a little bit for speaking because they had not used sign with them. And so I stood the front, and I, I stood there, and it was chaos. Nobody was looking at me at all. They could care less that I was there. And I just focused on somebody in the front row, these three girls in the front row, and I just signed to them, just started speaking to them. And they weren't even looking at me at first, and they suddenly started looking at me, and within about a minute, they began to cry. And suddenly, the entire room was silent. They were all watching me, and I suddenly had an audience, and I was speaking and signing to them. Why were they so interested why did they stop and why did they cry? Because this is the first time they'd ever seen a hearing person speaking their language and communicating to them in a culture that they could understand. It was a picture of what the gospel means when it comes to us in our own language. And that's, and that's what I think Jesus is trying to share here, this need for us to go to the Pontita Ethne, this need to speak the gospel in places where he's not yet been proclaimed. And everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. At that time, Acts 21, or Acts 2.21, 
one, we see a church established. 3,000 people come, get, get saved at that moment, and then believers begin to gather together, and they begin to share together, and they begin to become a body together. And sort of like, how do you do this? They begin to talk together, and it says here in Acts 2.42, they've devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to fellowship, and to the breaking of bread, and awe came upon every soul, and the Lord added to their number those who were being saved. You know, when we started the church in Siberia, that's sort of what happened with us, too. It's sort of like, what do you do then as a church? Now that we have believers, now that we're, there's, a, there's a church established in this community, what do you do? What do you do as a church? You know what we did? We went right here to Acts and began talking through the book of Acts. What did the early church do? Because it's the same picture. That's what church planting is all about. It's the same picture. It's repeating what we know already. This is what the church does. It gathers together. It spends time in Scripture. It reads. It devotes themselves to the Word. And it was a significant change within the people in that community. But I'll go back to this again. What about those that don't have that? What about those places in the world that still exist, that have no Bible, that have no access? We have so much access to the Word of God. I mean, it's crazy now, right? You, your phone, you can listen to it on your car. You can just, it's just so much access to the Word of God. And yet there are places in the world where if they wanted to know about Jesus, they couldn't. No Bible, no church, cut off completely. Well, this early church then began to have an impact. It was the founding vision. Its founding vision was the Acts 1-8 church, was you receive power, the Holy Spirit will come upon you, be my witness in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the world. And they began to do that. And Lord, the Lord continued to send them out. This church wasn't singly focused, wasn't self-centered, wasn't just about themselves. It was all about saying, we want to see our body increased here. We want to see our body increased in places where he's not yet been named. And they began to reach out. The Great Commission reach of the, began to move in that church from Jerusalem to Judea with one voice and with urgency. Romans chapter 10 says this, for everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved, but how will they call on him whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him in whom they have never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? How are they to preach unless they are sent? How beautiful are the feet of those that bring good news of peace. This church began to reach beyond its borders. And then something takes place in Acts. Acts 13, it's a major event taking place. It's an event, take the spark that we see from Acts 1.8, and change the course of history. It's a picture, I think, of what it means to be a, a, a church that's sending. You see, one of the two aspects of missions that I think is apparent, John Piper writes it this way, there's two types of missions. There's a Timothy mission and a Paul mission, and none is more important than the other. Uh, we need Timothy missionaries, and Timothy missionaries were, Paul sent Timothy to churches that were already established, and had, had them continue teaching, continue equipping, continue training those guys. And then there's a Paul type of missionary, who went, as he says here in Romans 15, 20, and thus I make it my ambition to preach the gospel, not where Christ has already been named, lest I build on someone else's foundation. He had a vision to go to places where the gospel has not yet been. Had a vision to go to places where still there were places in the world where the gospel had not been communicated. So in Acts 13, this amazing thing takes place. And before Paul wrote Romans 15, there was an Acts 13 Paul, we still called Saul. It says here in Acts 13, Now there were in, church, in the church at Antioch prophets and teachers, Barnabas, Simeon, who was called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, Menaean, a lifelong friend of Herod the Tetrarch, and Saul. You can do a whole sermon just off of those names that are in this passage here. And Saul, while they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, to me, said, said, Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work for which I have called them. Then after fasting and praying, they laid their hands on them and sent them off, Barnabas and Saul, to Cyprus. So being sent out by the Holy Spirit, they went down to Seleucia and from there sailed to Cyprus. Now this is like 15 years now since the church was founded in Acts chapter 2. And they've already been sending out people to Jerusalem. 
to, to Judea. They've been staying in this region primarily, but now they're looking to move forward. This is a church now, the early church, that now has mature, healthy, ethnically diverse people in their body, gifted teachers in the community. And they said, they sent out Saul and, and Barnabas and other leaders in the church gathered together. And I, I'm wondering what they were doing in that passage. Because when you read that passage, they were praying and fasting. Okay, God, okay, God, we've been here for 15 years. We've been existing for 15 years. What are you asking us to do as a church? Like, what do you want us to be involved in? We know that our task is here in Jerusalem. We know our task is here in Judea. We know our task is, we've been, we're doing that. God, is there more? Is there more that you want? Are we to go beyond our doors to the ends of the earth? Should it be now? Should we send our own leaders? Should we send out somebody else? Who should we send and how many should we send? And how are we to partner with them? That's what the church, the healthy church is doing. It's looking to say, we're not content with what we're doing now as exclusive. We want to continue to be engaged in what God, what you've commissioned us to do by your great commission. What you've commissioned us to do by the Holy Spirit to do these actions and these functions of life. You know, the Buryat Church in Siberia is asking those questions right now. This passage is important because it's the early church engaged in the Great Commission and passing on to us what they thought through and what they engaged in. It's a picture for us to actually look behind the scenes of how they were thinking about the world, but we should be thinking about the world the same way. It's a history of men and women who for centuries endured, suffered, triumphed so that we could have life. God the Holy Spirit is a missionary spirit. He's always been that way. So a spiritual church is an Acts 1-8 church. It's engaged in the mission of the Great Commission. There's four, these, are, these simple four verses we see in Acts 13 change the course of history. It's almost impossible for me to overstate that, how significant that movement took place. Before this, actually we see from the move from the Holy Spirit, there was no organized mission to reach the unreached. It just happened because of persecution or things. People went out to these areas. But at this time, it's actually an organized effort. Now we're going to do this as a church. Paul had no missionary journeys to Asia Minor, or none of that stuff had ever happened before, and he had not written any of the New Testament letters up, up to that point. It's not until that takes place that a massive movement takes place for the body of Christ. This one moment in history, I believe, would change the entire world, change church history. It was about two and a half centuries later that all of the Roman Empire became basically a Christian empire that changed that part of the aspect of the world. And within two and a half really centuries beyond that, things began to shift towards the gospel going further and further out, producing half of the works of the, of the New Testament itself. And that's how it all began. So since Acts 2, when the first church of Jesus Christ was started and founded, how are we doing as a church, as a whole, the body of Christ as a whole? There are literally thousands, to this day, there are literally thousands of people groups around the world with believing churches, with Bibles in their language, communicating and partnering with us in this vision of sending to the unreached places of the world. It's a beautiful picture of what's happened in the 2,000 years since Jesus uh, ascended to heaven and he gave this great commission. There have been many translations of the Bible translated. You know, there, were actually, there was actually a time when even the English Bible was a controversial topic and people actually died getting the Bible into the language of the English language so that we could read the Bible. However, there are still places in the world that have not yet heard. I said earlier, about 2,500 places in the world, not yet heard. These last groups are still unreached, partly because they're very difficult and very hard to get to, hard to engage in, hard to be a part of. Politics, religions, issues going on, it can take an extraordinary effort to get to these areas. Matthew 24, 14, though, says this, this gospel of the kingdom will be proclaimed throughout the whole world as a testimony to all nations, and the end will come. These nations, ethne, not the 200 or so nations we think of, we think of the world today. Those didn't exist at the time of Jesus. These are minority groups, languages around the world. 
God has always been ascending God, seeking men and women courageous enough to go and churches courageous enough to send and continuing to send. The end goal of every Christian and every church is to spread the gospel among the nations. God desires to see people from all the nations, Pontita Ethne, worshiping him. Because of the theme of the conference is renewing the mission, I felt it would be appropriate to talk about the history that Loudonville has had, specifically uh, on the ministry that it was engaged in among the Berea people. Your prayers and commitment in seeing the gospel going to the least reached peoples uh, brought both Julianne and I here to this area. And it's been you, Loudonville, have impacted uh, a nation of people around the world, the Pantata ethnic, even in Siberia, and the Buryat nation. I felt it was appropriate to have one of your representatives then from the Buryats and one of your missionaries come up here and share. So Ayuna, come on up here, please. Hello. Uh, thank you for having us here. I just wanted to share a little bit the history of uh, the connection to Loudoun Community Church. The first time I heard about Loudonville Community Church, your church, was the early 2000s, when Greg told us a handful of bread believers that there was a church in New York that would like to connect with us, that this church had been praying for the Briad People Group for some time already. We were surprised to hear it, because we were not a well-known people group in Russia, left alone in the United States. Of course, we became curious and started asking questions. Greg explained that Loudonville Community Church adopted our people group because they learned that it was one of the least reached people groups in the world. That they had committed to pray and learn about Buryats more. And that's how they found our small church and the missionaries who planted it. Shortly after that, several teams from LCC your church came to Siberia to visit our church and the Deaf Church, helping us and assisting us with different ministry projects. Then in 2006, I was invited to come to your church as a guest during the mission conference. As I was waiting for the service to start, I found myself in the building section dedicated to the mission work. I read different information boards displayed on the walls looked at pictures and maps, and suddenly I came across a framed certificate stating that Loudonville Community Church had adopted the Buryats as their least reached people group and promised to dedicate themselves to pray for the salvation of the Buryats. It was dated April 1998. And that was the year when I heard the gospel of salvation through Jesus Christ for the first time in my life. At that moment, I realized that God was showing me more about the story of my redemption. I saw only one side of it before, where he led my friends and me to himself through the work of missionaries like Greg and Julianne, who lived among us, befriended us, opened their house for us, loved and accepted us unconditionally. But the vital part that they did was that they introduced us to the God of the Bible by teaching us the word, showing us his character through each biblical story as we read the Bible chronologically. 
the truth of God revealed that way broke down every false belief I had before and brought me to know not just about God, but really knowing him personally as my Lord and Savior. So as I was standing in the hallway of your church and looking at the framed certificate of adopting my people group, I saw the other side of God's great plan. There was a body of believers stateside who prayed for my people group and the work among Bereans. Right then and there, I was witnessing how God put the desire on the hearts of his children in New York, in your church, to pray for my people group as he, at the same time, was fulfilling his plan of adopting us Buryats in Siberia into his family. That handful of believers in the early 2000s is now a multi-ethnical, multi-generational body of believers that continues to grow deeper in God's love and grace, that continues to carry the vision of being a missional church because of the missional God that they trust. They recently started a Bible study group in the outskirts of the city with the hope to eventually plant a new church there. And they make short-term mission trips to the remote places of Briatia to share the gospel with other Briats and see if there are other unreached people groups living in those remote places. They're also figuring out how to be a better support for one of them, my friend Tanya who is Indonesia right now, studying local culture and language to do Bible translation among an unreached people group there. She was one of the first Buryat believers of our church. Now, after receiving two years of mission training, she, a Siberian, lived, lives in a tropical country in order to translate God's word into a local minority language so that they can read and understand the message of salvation through Jesus Christ. Only God can stand behind this amazing story. I think you see now that the commitment and dedication of your church to adopt Bereans 20 something years ago have a ripple effect. God has answered your prayers for the Bereans to be saved and ultimately adopted into his family. Now he is working through these believers, reaching out to more unreached people groups locally and overseas. Thank you for showing the example of what it means to love God and to care for what he cares about, spreading good news to those who have never heard. I like to reflect on the verse from Revelation 7 that we heard earlier. After this, I looked and behold, a great multitude that no one could count from all the tribes and peoples and languages standing before the throne and before the Lamb clothed in white robes with palm branches in their hands and crying out with a loud voice, salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. The goal of God is to gather worshipers from all the people groups of the world who would shout with one voice praises to him. Many people groups, but one voice. Worshiping one and only God, Jesus Christ. Let's not get tired of this work. It's not going to be in vain. We know the results of God's great work. Thank you.
Let's pray. Father, we just thank you for this day. We thank you for the love that you've given to us and that you've shown us. Father, we ask that you'd help us to continue to focus our attention on you and on your word and what you ask us to be involved in. Father, just thank you again that we can be renewed in our own minds about your ministry through us and for us, Father, on our behalf. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.